What we're going to do this morning is talk about the journey that the disciples actually went on, the different stages of their calling, the different levels that they were called beyond and to. And I think we don't always fully understand the journey that they went on. And uh, we're going to take a look at that. Um, but John 1, starting first of all at verse 35. You know, before we even begin to reach anything or anybody or any area, the call, first of all, is to become a disciple. You can't raise disciples, and you certainly can't raise disciple makers if you aren't actually living as one yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah? It's so, so easy to teach people what you know, but we do reproduce who we are. Yeah? Whatever you win people with, you win them too. Okay? So it's so important that we get this right first and then we begin to reproduce. In, and as I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but all of us are called to reproduce people. Paul said, and I'm not claiming to be Paul and I know you are not claiming to be Paul, but the principle stands, Paul said, be imitators of me. Why? Because he lived life in an exemplary way and called people to the same. All of us will have to take a good look at ourselves before we would ever even think of saying that, okay? But at the same way, in the same way, we are called to live as dedicated disciples of Christ and call others to live the same. That's the Christian life. And so we're going to look at this. John chapter 1, starting at verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. as John the Baptist. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God, or behold, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? They asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to a place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John the Baptist said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida. Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. See, the promise is beginning to be poured into his life already. You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and coming down in the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven 
and earth. An amazing thing to begin to follow Jesus. It really is. It's an amazing thing to begin to, to lay our lives down and, and to begin to follow him in all of life. It's important that we follow him in all of life. But I, I can remember starting to realize that I needed to follow Jesus. I can remember beginning to, to submit to him. I remember beginning to, to, to just say, okay, Lord, whatever you want, I, I know you've got this and I'm going to follow you. I did have one of those Damascus Road type conversions and, and for me, I'd tried about everything else and okay, everything was for Christ and I just went for it. But the beautiful thing is, whenever you do that, it very often happens in stages, doesn't it? And he takes us, all of us are different, and he takes us in stages as we are ready. But there's a principle that we're going to see here that reveals to us that it's so easy to get stuck at certain stages, but we've got to make sure that we're pressing on through. And in John 1, we've read about the first time that Andrew, and the other one was probably John, because he was an eyewitness, and it went because he, 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 he was talking in a way where he wouldn't name himself, and that's him, he always did that. And they had been following John the Baptist, and now John points them towards Jesus, saying, he's the Lamb of God. And immediately, they started to get inquisitive, and they went after him, okay? And I've just read about the whole conversation that happened. But at this point, they took the initiative. They were inquisitive, they were curious, and they began to follow him, okay? And they started to spend time with him, to give him the afternoon, really. They started to, to learn from him. Um, received promises from, from him. They even started to bring their mates to him. Andrew. It's interesting that the evangelist was the first person that was, uh, you know, encountering Christ, and he immediately started to go out and get others. But they're in this place now where most of us started. They have been pointed to, to Jesus by someone who already knew him. I'm sure that's the experience for many of you. Yeah, is that you? Yeah. We're Pentecostals, you're allowed to raise your hand, all right? You really are. Um, so many of us get pointed to Jesus. I had a bit of a Damascus Road experience, but still, I was pointed to Jesus by other people. Um, family members who had became Christians. My mother-in-law was a real example, my brother, many, many others. And, and the simple truth is that that's what these guys are starting to experience. They've started to get inquisitive, they've started to follow after and something had started to happen. It doesn't really matter how we meet Jesus, but it's just a beautiful thing to begin to walk with him and begin to spend time with him, begin to grow and begin to, to get to know him better. But when what they were experiencing here was the first steps into the Christian life. Okay, now all of us have been on that journey and it's looked different for all of us, but in the big picture we've been on that journey and we can relate to those experiences. We get introduced to Jesus. You start going to church. You might even start bringing friends. Christ will begin to reveal things. He'll begin to reveal himself. The promises begin to flood our lives, even in those early stages. This is the first point of contact for these guys, and they're already receiving promises for him, from him. And it's exciting. It brings change. It opens up a whole new um, experience, a whole new perspective. We begin to understand for the first time ever that there's a whole big unseen world out there. Um, and we begin to see things in a different way. We begin to experience Christ and begin to learn what it means to actually follow him, to spend time with him. But there's also a danger here in this place. It's so easy to get stuck. It's so easy in the Western church to never go beyond these experiences. And, you know, you think about it. 
in this place, you can go through so many of the, 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 the normal things. You begin to go to church. You even maybe start to serve in a church department or whatever, and, you, and, and that becomes the norm. And Christianity and, and the Western church sort of big picture, everything is pointing to Sunday. And really, the purpose in the New Testament was all things leading from Sunday into the world to make a difference. Yeah? And all of our lives have to be in that space. Otherwise, it's not biblical Christianity. That's quite a statement. But I challenge you to read the Word of God and see different. But, but it's so easy to get stuck. And maybe as you hear some of this stuff, you're saying, well, you know, I did experience those things at the start of my journey, and, and maybe at this point, I'm still experiencing things that are very similar. You know, I, I go to church every week, and I'm at, the, I'm at the prayer meeting most of the time, sometimes. I'll bring the odd person to church as well. And I'm in this space where I'm serving in a department. And that's first base, folks. We're going to see as we go through this. You know, I remember someone saying one time that, that you know, I have been a Christian 20 years. When the, the reply they got was, well, I don't know. Maybe you've repeated your first year 20 times. We've got to be so careful that we don't do that. Because there's so much more to experience. There's so much more of the Holy Spirit that we haven't even began to think about, never mind experienced. But it won't happen until you intentionally put yourself in a space where you're opening yourself up to a whole new horizon. People talk about the hills and the valleys and the hills and the valleys. We will all go through valleys, but every time you get to the hill, the next hill, you see a whole new horizon. But it's up to you whether you move forward and, and, and fill God's vision for your life. Please hear the heart of God. There's so, so much more. But if you want to get there, I'm just going to tell you plain and simple. If you want to get there, it's going to mean sacrifice. It's going to mean a whole new level of commitment, dedication, and an absolute determination to fulfill God's purpose and plan for your life. You see, these guys in John 1, that, wasn't, that was only the beginning what they had done was just enter into this wee casual relationship with Jesus for a time that was it Matthew 4 turn over there Matthew 4 we're going to read from verse 18 One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, same guys, okay? They were throwing a net into the water. They were doing a test work. They fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. Okay, so now he's taking the initiative, and he said, come, follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. Remember that phrase. Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them. And he said, Come. Immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So we've already seen that these guys have probably, were more or less definitely sure, 
that they've already met with Jesus. They've already began this casual relationship with Jesus. Andrew was the first. Um, John was probably the one named with Andrew. We've talked about that. Peter then was the next one because Andrew went to get him. And I'm sure John at least told his brother James. Okay, So these guys have already started the process. But up to this point, there's just been in this week casual relationship. You know the way people click follow on Instagram or Twitter or something like that these days and, and they just check in every now and again to make sure they're not missing something. Really, that's what these guys were at at that stage in John 1. They were inquisitive. They wanted to know more, but they hadn't really committed. They just went back, uh, back to what they did every other day. And most people believe, the commentators all believe, that this John 1 experience that we've looked at previously, that that was on a Sabbath. So the truth is, that day they didn't have anything else to do anyway. They just saw an opportunity to learn, and they asked, could they follow this guy to learn a bit more, really was, was the way the whole thing panned out. They said, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. So at this point, he calls them, he takes the initiative, and he begins to reveal a wee bit of their purpose to them. You know, very often in the Christian life, we can go years without actually understanding who we are and what God has called us to be and do. We need to know our purpose. Every single one of you has a purpose. My friend Jeremy down in Carrigan Channel, um, great lad, really good friend, and he brought a jigsaw puzzle into church one morning. They gave everybody a wee piece. He says, I just want you to remember this. If you don't turn up both here in church and in your purpose throughout the week, the community won't see the full picture of God's purpose and plan. And every single one of you has a really crucial and important part to play. And we all need to know our purpose. And it's a real challenge when this call comes. And Jesus uses terminology here that communicates something that brings a really deep challenge. These guys are in the middle of a day's work. The family business. Everybody around them was relying on them. And now they're being basically called to clock out. Come on. I want you to follow me. I'll teach you how to fish for people. And I'm sure there was a challenge in that for them. But it says here that they followed him. What was he calling them to do? To give a day to the kingdom. Just to, to sacrifice some time. You know, all throughout the Western world, and I'm more familiar with Northern Ireland, maybe it's the same around here, very similar culture. There are couples who are bringing home an excess of 70 grand. But I think it would be a great thing if we were to actually begin to think seriously. What would it look like if one of us, you know, maybe a couple having a chocolate house, what would it look like if one of us actually decided isn't a big ask. Give a day a week to the kingdom to, to do stuff in, in church life, to maybe do something in the community, to serve a family, to serve whatever, but just to give a day to kingdom expansion, just to serve the Lord. I tell you, if you do that, you'll be blessed. And the Bible says that whenever you seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, then all the other stuff's going to be added to you anyway. But it's a hard issue. Are you willing to give of you? Imagine if God asked you to tithe your time. That's about two and a half hours a day. So if you are to do that in one day, you'd be sort of... At this point, Jesus is calling them to reorient their lives to a place of vulnerability, a place of risk, a place of adventure and faith, to step into the unknown. And I want to tell you something, that is the most profound and the most beautiful thing you will ever do. I love the whole story, I'm not going to put into this one-off script, but... 
And Peter said, you know, Lord, if it's really you, it's always good to ask that question. Lord, if it's really you, ask me to come to you. And he said, right, come on. And you know what he said? Come on, the water's lovely. Don't worry about the storms. I'll sort them out. But focus on me. And we gave him a hard time because he sank. He probably walked at least five or six steps on the water. Praise God. He stepped into the miraculous. He took a risk. He got out of the boat. And we know the journey he went on after that. On the day of, day of Pentecost, he had that same spirit. And he stepped up and preached the gospel. And 3,000 people got saved. A few days later, a, few, a wee while later, um, uh, at the gate, beautiful, one guy got healed. And again, Peter seen an opportunity. And he stepped up and he preached the gospel. 5,000 people came to Christ. It's that hard to just step up step out and to begin to do something and God will always honour that and he'll always bless that and, but what is happening here in this story that we've been looking at in the story of these disciples is that this day when they were doing their fishing Jesus showed up and he called them to be second decision followers right the west is full of people who are first base followers they do all of the things that we've talked about. They go to church and they even bring a friend and they, they spend time with Jesus. They learn from him. They even get promises from, from him. But they, they, they're, they're stuck there. They're stuck there. Jesus calls us to become second decision followers. The call is to get beyond first base, to live as a dedicated disciple and begin to seek first the kingdom. And this is when our Christian experience goes to a whole new level. You see, the more of ourselves we give, the more of Christ we experience and receive. It's that simple. It really is. But in Ireland, I believe generation after generation after generation have been stuck at first base. Please don't settle for the traditions of our, of our uh, the ones who have gone before because there's so much more for every generation than there has been for the generation before. And so many in our wee island have settled for what their previous generation has experienced. There's so much more. Listen to this scripture. As I was looking at this and studying at this, this scripture really um, just sprung out at me. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. We cannot allow ourselves to settle for the traditions of those who have gone before. And some traditions are great, but some of them need put in the bin. Amen. Some traditions are great but not all of them. And what we need to begin to do is to act our way to a new way of thinking. Act our way to a new way of thinking. Alan Hirsch says this, if you want transformational gospel movement, really want it, then you're going to have to unlearn some very ancient churchly habits and be willing to relearn some new and yet paradoxically more ancient, more authentically biblical ones. <laughs> you know what, I'm going to read that again because you really need to get that. If you want transformational gospel movement, really want it, then you're going to have to unlearn some very ancient churchly habits and be willing to relearn some new and yet paradoxically more ancient, more authentically biblical ones. And the promises of God are so clear. Whenever we give of ourselves to step into what God has for us, then we experience the fullness of eternal life. And I'm not saying it's a salvation issue, but it's an obedience issue, okay? Um, John 12, 25 to 26 puts it like this. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. 
and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. See what it says there. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. So often, I've got up in the morning and tried to tell God what to do. Asking him to bless my ideas. And when we have the mind of Christ, he does that. Um, as first, Second Thessalonians 1.11, actually says that Paul prays that by the power of the Spirit that he would bring to fruition our every desire for goodness. Now, that's a profound statement. So God, whenever we're living in that committed, dedicated state, then we have the mind of Christ and God does want to empower our ideas, but very often we're living in first base and we want God to empower our ideas. But it says here that the servants must be where he is. So we need to be in that space of being absolutely committed to him, being absolutely dedicated to him and following his call and his purpose for our lives. And do you know what happens? The kingdom of God begins to erupt right in front of us. The people that we love and have been praying for for maybe a generation begin to ask questions and begin to come alive. Why? Because they see what's going on in our hearts. They see the truth and the reality of the gospel. They see that being lived out. They read the word of God and they like what they read, but then they look at our lives and they begin to see that again. And the beautiful thing is that whenever we live like that, we do reproduce who we are. People want to be like us because why we're at peace we're on fire for God we're full of excitement and passion for everything that we believe and people really get excited by that and they get drawn to that and it's a beautiful thing it is an absolutely beautiful thing and I believe with everything in me that the spirit of God is roaring over the church in these days that it's time to become second decision followers to stop playing church and begin to actually expand the kingdom for his glory. The church is mentioned three times in the Gospels in two verses. The kingdom of God is mentioned 128 times in 128 for 121 verses. It's all about the kingdom. The church is the vehicle to bring the kingdom of God. The church isn't the end in itself. The church has a purpose to fulfill God's mission. And it's not that the church has a mission, it's God has a mission and he uses the church to fulfill it. And we need to get to the place where we shake off our apathy and we begin to live for God as individuals. And then the bigger picture, when we all do, like in Acts 2, come together in one place, the whole thing erupts. Why? Because each of us are being used to bring transformation in every area of our lives. So I love Acts 2, 42 to 47. Much of our new ground work is based on those few verses. And everybody comes together daily. They break bread together in their homes. They, they worship together. They pray together. They, they put themselves under the, 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 the doctrine of, of the truth. And they just begin to love one another. And each day people were added to the church. But then they all came together in one place. And it must have been a wee touch of heaven. Just amazing what happened at the end of the first century. There were 25,000 Christians. But because of this culture that they had formed in the power of the Holy Spirit, at the end of the second century, there were 20 million. Seriously. Just because they were meeting together on a daily basis, loving one another, reaching others, and the whole thing spread like wildfire. But here's the thing. First base followers will continually go around in circles. The status quo will never, ever cut it. But whenever we get to the place where we're willing to say, you know what, Lord, if you're calling me to this, I'm going to do it. And whatever sacrifices you're asking me to make, I'm going to do that, knowing that when I seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, that you're going to add. 
whenever you step into that space, you don't just go around in circles. Every now and again, you get a wee glimpse of the Jordan and you dip your toe in. And before you know it, you're brought right across into the place of promise and all heaven begins to erupt and the enemies flee. All of our routines and all of our religious rigmaroles, they won't change a thing, you know. But whenever we live as disciples, whenever we go for God in whatever way suits us as individuals and whatever way suits our community, then special things begin to happen. Whenever we actively begin to hear the voice of the Spirit individually, when we begin to hear his voice, whenever we begin to respond, whenever we're willing to go further, commit deeper and give more, special things begin to happen. He begins to lead us into whole new experiences. He opens up a whole new level of influence in community. He opens up a whole new understanding of who we are in Christ. And once, once we understand our identity in Christ, we understand that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We understand the authority that we, we carry in Christ. And then we can step into spaces where we pray the will of God and things begin to happen. It is that simple, but it's so profound. All it takes is for us to become second decision followers and begin to step into his fullness. We can see the journey that these guys go on. They, they begin with this casual relationship with Jesus. A very short time later, they get the call, come, well, I'll teach you a few things. I'm going to show you how to fish for people. So they sacrifice a day to the kingdom and they begin to step into his purpose and plan. At this point, most people believe they never went back to fishing. They still needed to be drawn further. Turn over to Luke 5. One day Jesus was preaching on the shore, so he was preaching, different day. On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So again, they went back to work, getting on with everyday life. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, he worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say, we let down our nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. So really this is probably something like a year's wages for these guys. Just like that. Simon Peter realised what had happened. He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught as others were with him. Partners James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. Listen to the word. From now on, you will fish for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So a while after this, this other episode in Matthew 4, they took time off work, they, they did all of that stuff, and now again, 
they are in this place, moving back to work, just getting on with life, and Jesus turns up again. It's very interesting that Jesus obviously needs somewhere to preach from, to get away from the crowd. And so he asks him for the one thing that he needs for his livelihood. Sometimes God will put his finger on the things that we most rely on. Remove them so that we can fully trust in him. Don't ever be worried or afraid if that happens. Because God's got a purpose and a plan. Sometimes he'll take control of our vocation. Sometimes our business, our home, our car. And he'll use them for the kingdom. And so often we think, you see, that these things are primarily for our benefit. We're just stewards of everything that we have. We really are. We see our jobs and our careers as, as a source of finance. But you see, Jesus wants to use these things to bring transformation to society. Have you any idea what he can do through filmmakers? Who knows that we need Christian journalists? here. Who knows we need the stuff changed that's on our TV that we see every day. We need Christian people to be in those places using their vocation for kingdom advancement. Who knows that if there was a Christian right now in a lab somewhere in the Western world and if they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to come to that place where they get a revelation and they find breakthrough for coronavirus, attention will be turned back to Jesus. <laughs> Seriously. God wants to inspire us and bring us to a place of creativity where we can use all of the things that we just see as a ways of making finance for kingdom expansion. Very often we see our homes as a place of retreat. Just get home from a hard day's work and, and get the kids to bed or whatever and lock the door and put our feet up. Really? God wants to use our homes to make disciples. He wants to use our homes to raise disciple makers. He wants to use the things that we have for the kingdom and that's what he's doing here with Peter. Because these guys at this point have already proved the second decision followers, Jesus begins to reveal the power of the kingdom. And so Peter gives him the boat as, a, as a, just an evidence that he's willing to do whatever he asks him to do. And, and so what happens next? He finishes preaching and he says, look, take your boat out a wee bit further through your net and maybe see what happens. And he just proves himself. You see, Peter has taken that step of faith. He's took a day off work in Matthew 4. He gets to the place now where he says, okay, this is my livelihood, but here, do whatever you want with it. What happens? He proves God. The power and the provision of God is demonstrated for everybody to see. There's family. Don't have to worry about things anymore for a while. Amazing thing. God will very often call us to places where He challenges us and tests us, and then the provision and the power of God and whatever we need for life and godliness comes through that relationship with him it's just a beautiful thing we're nearly done the big picture is here that Jesus gives them a glimpse of his provision and the possibilities and calls them to go even further and verses 10 and 11 says his partners James and John the sons of Zebedee were also amazed at passion says awestruck Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Last time he said, he would show them how to fish for people. Now they're at a place where they're ready to go all in. Now he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be.
be serving me. You will be fishing for people. And you can see this increase in revelation followed by demonstration of the Spirit. But as they proved that they were second decision followers, they were willing to, to give themselves to the purposes of God. And so if we would allow ourselves to get beyond, and I'm, talking, I'm not just talking about us here this morning, but if the Western church in general would allow ourselves to, to get beyond the normal place, the first base, the, 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 I don't know, I call it sometimes the church bubble. If we would allow ourselves to get beyond the status quo, I have no doubt in my mind that we would experience things that would go beyond anything that has ever been seen in this island, including Patrick, including 1859, including what happened here 105 years ago. I'm telling you, God wants to do so much more, but he's got to get a grip of our hearts. We've got to open our hearts. We've got to open up our lives, our finances, our resources, our families, everything that we have have been given to us by him and we've got to just say Lord I've got a big open heart and a big open hand take whatever you want take me on whatever journey you want help me to step into your fullness and if we get to that place I think we'll see the power and the glory of God way beyond anything that we've seen in our history so what's your response this morning? Oh, this is a challenge this morning believe me I study this stuff and I have to deal with it before I come to you Hard. You know what's tough? You can only see beyond where you are at the minute to see what Christ has for you. Give him everything. Everything. You only just see a glimpse of what he has. What are you willing to realign? You're willing to sacrifice. What is it that you need to let go of or give up or stop? Maybe God wants you to give a day or two to the kingdom. This community. Do whatever it takes to, to reach those who are lost on, on their way to hell. You really can learn to live with a wee bit less. Happy, I'd be happier. I just want you to be more intentional with your spare time. Your vocation is right in the center of his will and you're maybe teaching kids every day or whatever you do. He wants to use your business. What's he saying to you specifically? None of it will ever happen unless he has your yes unless he has your heart. Yeah, I just want, I know time's gone. I want us to just take a second and